Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. As the choir comes down, let me give to you a memory verse. Uh, this is not a part of Debbie and Randy's uh, summer scripture challenge. This is a bonus verse. Um, I want you to be working on this. See if you can memorize it. Um, if you study it, it'll make sense to you. It goes like this. But God raised him from the dead. Amen. You want to try that? But God raised him from the dead. You all get a piece of candy now. That's what I want to talk about. You know, some time ago, I was um, talking with somebody, and uh, as we were discussing things, I was, I was doing what was typical for me. I was saying, well, you know, I don't think that'll work. Well, how about this? How about this? And, no, I, I don't see the point of that. I, it just probably won't, won't do anything. Well, how about this? You know, th this would really work out. Well, you know, it, I, you know we, we just probably can't do that. I, I don't think we should try that. You know. Finally, she looked at me and said, you know, you're an Eeyore. <laughs> now, you don't have to read Winnie the Pooh to know who Eeyore is. If you don't, here he is. Uh, Eeyore is the donkey. <laughs> no, I thought that was okay. All right, I'm a donkey. And then I remember the King James for that. <laughs> and I wondered what, what was meant by it. But, uh, you know, it, you just sort of read up on it and you find out, well, you know, there was Tigger and uh, Tigger was a little stuffed tiger and hence Tigger. And, uh, uh, you know, Tigger was always enthusiastic. Wow, yeah, let's go. We can do that. Not only that, Tigger has great self-confidence. Why, I can do that. In fact, Tigger's the best at that. Any, what are we doing? I don't know, but Tigger's the best at that. You know, Tigger's just this internal optimism, enthusiasm, and energy. And, and you know, there, there was Tigger, and then there was uh, Kanga, the, the mother kangaroo. Roo was the little kangaroo. And uh, Kanga, of course, had this motherly instinct and was very calm and, and wise and all that. And uh, there's Rabbit, who was really quick about things. And, you know, on, on and on it went, you know. And there, there are all these wonderful animals. They lived in the 100-acre forest, and except for Eeyore. Eeyore lived outside of the 100-acre forest, and Eeyore, you know, was just always a little bit negative and down on things. So, you know, I get that. I... I can be a little negative sometimes. Okay, it, it happens. So, and, you know, I, I found out that I'm an Eeyore, and, you know, I, I was living with that just fine until I found out that there's a whole industry of people who analyze your business on the basis of Winnie the Pooh. You bring them in, and they read to you at Winnie the Pooh, and they explain to you what all the employees in your business are. You know, who's a Tigger, and who's a Kanga, and who's a Roo, and who's a Christopher Robin, and who is an Eeyore. And uh, this is a marvelous thing. It's sort of like um, reading your horoscope. But, they, uh, <laughs> but anyway, the, the folks who do these kinds of things, they write out paragraphs describing the various personality traits of the characters in Winnie the Pooh. 
And I thought, man, I got to get a hold of this. So I looked it up on the internet and I got the paragraph that describes me. This describes an Eeyore. Eeyore is glum, sarcastic. Yeah, right. <laughs> Eeyore is glum, sarcastic, and pessimistic and has trouble getting himself organized. When he does try to do something, it's usually as a half-hearted, I don't know if I want to read this. Oh, attempt. It's a half-hearted attempt. Okay. Eeyore very much falls into the neuroticism personality profile. Now, you don't know what that is, but it sounds bad, doesn't it? I mean, might as well have just said, Eeyore is pretty much nuts. You know, just can't, can't rely on Eeyore. All right. He feels like he really understands everyone else, but he feels isolated because nobody seems to understand him. Right? Therefore, he feels there is no point to anything he does. They are the ones who will say, what's the point? <laughs> Eeyores can be very frustrating team members. <laughs> I'll end with this one. This is one I really liked. Keep them away from other Eeyores. Negativity and pessimism are contagious. Okay, I can live with that. I mean, I could change, but what would be the point? <laughs> well, nothing ever is going to be different anyway. So. You know, but I suspect that there's a few Eeyores out there. I mean, just statistically, on, you know, the averages are that there's a few Eeyores. Um, there's a, a couple of you Tiggers out there, and you drive us Eeyores nuts, by the way. Uh, <laughs> But whether you, you know, whatever animal you are, whatever character in, in, in Winnie the Pooh, I suspect that all of us have Eeyore moments or Eeyore episodes in our life. You know, it may, not, it may not be what we always feel like, but we hit certain stretches in life where we just say, what is the point? Why am I bothering with this? It's not going anywhere. Nothing's ever going to change. Now we get that despondency and we get that discouragement and we're sort of channeling our inner Eeyore at those moments. And it can be a debilitating kind of thing. You know, it, it's bad enough, you know, if, if you live as an Eeyore, you, you, you learn to cope with it. You learn these mechanisms, you recognize it, you try to get ahead of it. But if, if it's, you know, something that's not normally a part of you, but these Eeyore episodes come your way and you start feeling like, what's the point? You know, they're, they're, this is useless. Um, then it sort of catches you by surprise and it can really set you back, especially if it has to do with things that are real close to you. You know, why should I bother about my job? You know, I'm working at this job and I go to work and I do the same thing every, every day and I come home and all I have to do is get up and go to work again. Been doing that for three weeks now. And <laughs> see, you laughed because it's true. Right? Uh, but sometimes it's a marriage. What's the point of this marriage? Seems kind of cold and aloof, and what's the point? And if I invest myself in it, I don't see any return, and it just seems like it's just not working. I, I don't know why I'm bothering. 
happens with children. You know, you're looking at the kid and you're saying, I, I don't know what's ever going to become of him. I just worry about him. And I'm not talking about the four-year-olds. That's normal. It's the 20-year-olds, the 30-year-olds. Sometimes they're in their 40s and you're still wondering. And you're saying, what can I do and what's the point? You know, when we, when we get into these Eeyore episodes, it's, it's just so tempting to just quit. Just cash it in. Just, you know, let's not bother. But here's the good news. At the very moment you want to stop is the moment God is just getting started. Amen. At the moment when you want to just back off and back away and back out, God is walking into your life with the desire and the power and the resources to take that Eeyore situation and turn it around. And this is the way God has always operated. He has never given up even though people have given up on him. He just keeps on working his perfect will for his glory. That's something of what Peter is Oh, Peter, Paul, you see, it's after chapter 13, what Paul is talking about here when he's preaching uh, this sermon. He starts out by rehearsing how God raised up for himself the Israelite people, the children of Israel. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in the church, you grew up thinking that the children of Israel were the good guys in the Old Testament that they were the heroes of the story, and all the things that happened to them were because those evil nations out there picking on God's righteous people. And it's only later on, as you read the Bible more closely, that you come to understand the children of Israel spent most of their time in rebellion against God. They spent most of their time ignoring God's will, and in point of fact, they only occasionally rose to the level of obedience before they sank right back down into the rebellion uh, and rejection of God's work in their life. This, this, it starts with the story of bringing them out of the land of Egypt. You know, Moses goes there and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. No, yes. And finally, they leave, and they get to the wilderness. They trek across the wilderness. They get to the promised land, and the people say, God, you set us free from Egypt, and you brought us through the wilderness, and you fed us miraculously, and you led us miraculously, and here we are right next door. We can walk right into the promised land. Sorry, God, we don't believe you. We'd rather not go. And so they turned around, and they spent the next 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. Now, here's how Paul summed that up. Uh, this is in verse 18. He says, And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. <laughs> Wouldn't you like that said about your life? God puts up with, well, God does put up with us. <laughs> you know, the, the picture in the, in the Greek vocabulary there uh, has to do with people who have quirky mannerisms and you have to put up with it. That, that's sort of the, the, the idea of of the word. Um, uh, it, it makes me think of Petticoat Junction. Okay, I'm seeing blank stares, and it's not just, what's well, Petticoat Junction? Kids are looking at their mothers and saying, what's a petticoat? <laughs> All right, Petticoat Junction was a, was a, a sitcom uh, television show. This family uh, owned a hotel, but on the front porch was old, who, you remember? Old Uncle Joe, moving kind of slow, right? You remember that? 
And Uncle Joe was kind of quirky. He, you know, he did things that were sort of bizarre, good for laughs, and just sort of amazing, amusing, and confounding everybody. But he was family. He was old Uncle Joe. You got an Uncle Joe in your, in your family? I am the Uncle Joe in my family. No, the, but, but the picture of the word is here's somebody who's a part of your family, and so you put up with a lot of the things they do simply because they're family. You don't understand them. You don't quite agree with them, but you put up with them. Paul said for 40 years God put up with his people in the wilderness. They had a lot of quirky things. One of, one of their big quirks was called grumbling. They loved to grumble. They'd get up in the morning and say, what do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. Let's grumble. Really? What do you want to grumble about? I can't think of anything to grumble about. Well, let's grumble about the fact there's nothing to grumble about. Yeah, let's grumble. Get our friends. Yeah, call them up. Are you ready to grumble? I think that's the last of the jokes. I'm not real sure, but I think that. But they were constantly complaining about what God was doing. Now, understand, these were people who had the most direct evidence of the presence of God and the leadership of God of any people ever in history. As they looked out their tent flap in the morning, they would see the, the, the cloud to guide them, and they'd say, we know what God wants us to do today. We know if he wants us to stay here, or, and we know where he wants us to go because we got the cloud. Last thing they would see at night is the pillar of fire to guide them by night. They always knew where God wanted them to be. They just didn't want to be there. They had been fed miraculously with the manna and with the water from the rock, and, and time and again they'd been delivered. And they're just saying, we're tired of this God guy. And God put up with them. This is kind of like amazing. This is kind of like grace. We should write a song about it. I mean, this is the way God works with quirky people. I take great comfort in that fact. Because one of my quirks is Eeyoreism, um, but, you know, one of my quirks is just wandering off on my own and, and doing my own thing and getting into trouble and backing myself into a corner and not knowing where, where to turn and not knowing how I'm going to get out of things and not knowing what I should do next. And yet God still puts up with me. He puts up with us. Well, then Paul goes on, he's, he, he describes what, what happened. And God brought them finally through the wilderness and brought the children to um, their own land, and he gave them the land. And then he gave them judges to rule over them. And then uh, Paul says, and he gave them a king, King Saul, and then he removed Saul for the sake of David. Um, in verse 22, and when he had removed him, that is, removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. But David was a piece of work. I mean, I, I, I grew up admiring David. I grew up in church, so, you know, David was here. David and Goliath, King David. Jesus was son of David. You know, this seemed like a really good thing. And then you start to read the Bible, and you understand, this guy, David, wasn't exactly what you would call a paragon of virtue. I mean, at the very best, he liked to play pranks on people. I mean, uh, you, you remember the encounter with King Saul and clips off the hem of the garment rather than killing him, and then, ha-ha, see what I got? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, that was just annoying. But then, the, then David was, he was involved in adultery, and that led to murder. 
His household was a wreck. I mean, his sons didn't just fight amongst each other. One son raped his sister. This isn't a Father's Day guy, all right? And this is the King David. And God says about him, this is a man after my heart. I don't get it. Until I realized this. David was a man after God's heart, not because of perfection, but because of connection. See, God didn't say to David, once you're perfect, then I will accept you. What God said was, David, once you're connected, now I can deal with you. It's not that you've got to work hard enough and be good enough before God will start to work in your life and do amazing things. All you need to do is be connected to God. And it's not the perfection that we'll never achieve, but it's the connection that we have in Christ Jesus. That's why God sent his son, Jesus. We'll read about this in a moment. But look right here now. You know, our sin separates us from God. It's our sin that cuts us off from God, our rebellion against God. We tell God, I don't want to do your will. We, we, we lose that connection. God sent his son to take our place on the cross, died for our sins, that we can be connected to the Father by faith in his son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And once connected to the Father, then his Holy Spirit begins the work in us of conforming us to the image of Christ, that is, conforming us to this human being who would live for the glory of the Father in all things. God is at work to bring that about in us. It's not perfection before we can know God. It is simply the connection of faith. And so God said of David, he said, look, it, it's, it's not who you are because you're no great shakes, David, but it's a fact that I can get a hold of you and you're connected to me because then when you sin, I can send conviction on your heart and you'll realize that you've sinned and you'll confess it in a song. It's a case, David, that when you go off in your own way, I can reach out and I can touch you on the shoulder and you'll, you'll turn back because, David, you've got a connection to me. And that's what he meant by, here's a man after my own heart. Not perfection, but connection. And I take a great deal of comfort in that fact because when I reach the end of my rope and I don't know where to turn and it all seems futile and useless and it just seems like you might as well pack it in and give up, what this Scripture tells me is that God is not interested in my coming up with an answer that might work. Rather, God is simply interested in my turning to him and let him be the answer and to work it out in his timing and in his way. So Paul said, then God worked through this David. He gave you David who was uh, connected to God, not perfect, but certainly connected. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Is this not, you know, mind-boggling. God connects the perfection of his son to the sinfulness of David and to the sinfulness of Israel. God connects his son to this people who's getting it all wrong. God's purpose in, in, in Israel was to bring about a people, a context into which the, the Messiah could be born so that people would come to know him, they'd know the promises, they'd, 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 they'd accept him, and when Jesus came, nobody did. But God did not reject those who were sort of bumbling around. God chose those who were bumbling around. Okay. So, um, he said, it, 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 as an offspring of David, and of course, Jesus is known as the uh, son of David. Then very quickly, 
and uh, verse 27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath. Now, these, these were Bible-reading, Bible-toting people and Bible-quoting people. And uh, uh, Jesus came into their midst. They didn't recognize him as the Messiah. They didn't understand the promises in the Old Testament that the prophets had given them, and they had read them every, every Sabbath. And so what they did, instead of understanding them, they fulfilled them by condemning Jesus as had been stated in uh, the prophets. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. And they thought it was over. Kind of the way we get. That, that's what an Eeyore episode is. That, that's, that's what it is when you get to a point where you say, I, it's, it's, it's done. It's finished. We, we might as well just, just pack it in. Write the obituary. It's over. That's where we get. What's your memory verse? But God raised him from the dead. But God raised him. This Jesus, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the hope of Israel. They crucified him. They put him in the grave. We thought it was over. But God raised him. And when God raised him up, he raised him up in a newness of life and promised us that same newness of life by the power of the resurrection. Because Jesus is risen, we have new life, abundant life in him by faith in Jesus Christ. Look, folks, when you, when you get to the end of the rope, there, there's some of you out there and, and you're, you're looking at your work situation and it's so burdensome and it's so crushing, and it is, it's crushing the life out of you, and I understand that, and go get career counseling, but understand this, before you let it kill you, God raised Jesus from the dead. You might be suffering, struggling, and dying, but God raised Jesus, and that means your whole life, your whole situation is turned around by the power of God. There's some of you who are looking at your spouse and you've already got a list. You started making that list a long time ago. A long time ago, you started keeping a list of everything that was wrong, everything that was annoying, every shortcoming, every failing, every problem, and you made that list. And if, if anybody were to ask you today, you could whip it right out and see, 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 there, it's useless. See, it's hopeless. You see, it's pointless. This is a sham. This isn't what I want or need. I'm backing out and I'm quitting. But God raised Jesus from the dead. He has the power to turn a relationship around. He has the power to bring life into that which has grown cold. Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God, and that same power of the Holy Spirit is available to believers in Jesus Christ today. Some of you are worried about your children. You don't know where to turn. They've gone off in the far country. Some of, all, uh, uh, of your kids are off in the far country and they're spending their inheritance, everything you taught them, everything you raised them to be, and they're just wasting that. They're spending that in riotous living. Some of you have kids and they're already feeding the hogs. And you don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. You don't know what to say. And you're about ready to give up, give in, because it's hopeless. But God raised Jesus from the dead. 
And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead can find your child in the far country and bring them home. There's a grace of God and a mercy of God that is greater than we can imagine. And all we know, it's this kind of power that God used when he raised Jesus from the dead. Some of you are struggling spiritually. And you're not, you, you're just looking for meaning and purpose in life and you've, you've tried so many things and you've hung on so long and you've, you, you're just worn out putting up a front and other people, how you doing? No, I'm doing great. But inside, you don't see the point. You're about ready to give up and give in. But God raised Jesus from the dead and he has the power to reclaim your life by faith in Jesus Christ. I just want to ask you, I just want to ask you, if God won't give up on you, why would you give up on God? If God refuses to give up on you and your life and your situation and all the things around you, if God refuses to give up on you, why would you ever give up on God? Now, there's a verse in the Bible that says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You've probably heard that verse in Psalm 53, I think it is. And uh, you, you've heard that verse. That, that verse is true philosophically, by the way. You know, uh, The fool doesn't understand the philosophical reasons why rational people would believe in God. And there's some very good reasons for that. It outweighs whatever uh, faulty reasoning of, of the atheists. And, you know, so philosophically that's true. The fool says in the, there, there is no God. It's true morally of the person who says, you know, there's no God to see what I'm doing. It doesn't matter what I do. I can get away with it after all. You know, we're, we're, we're modern, we're hip, and all this other business. And so uh, uh, the fool says there's no God and there's no judgment. I can just do what I want. That's a very foolish thing to say. But look, when there's a God who loves you so much that he sent his, done to, his son to die for you, that your sins might be forgiven and your life reclaimed and you might have hope again when there's a God who loves you that much, it's a foolish thing to turn away from him and to say he's not there. It's a foolish thing to say there is no God because God loves you so much he would never and will never give up on you. Why would you ever give up on him? So here's what I want us to do for the coming week, okay? Just every day, 17 times a day, I want you to say to yourself, but God raised him. I just want you to think about that. You know, when you get up tomorrow, if, if it occurs to you, just go ahead and say it, but God raised him. And every time the Holy Spirit brings that to your mind, just but God raised him. And when you run into that situation that is just knocking you backwards and is, 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 is uh, you know, trying to, to just suck the life out of you, just say, wait a minute, but God raised Jesus from the dead. That changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. That's what, that's what I want you to do. That's your memory verse. But God raised him from the dead, and just start repeating that, and then just start saying that to every situation you see in your life. When the kids confound you, but God raised Jesus from the dead, he can deal with this. You look at your finances, but God raised Jesus from the dead, he can deal with this. Because if God won't give up on you, why would you ever give up on God? Let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace and your kindness, your mercy expressed to us over and over again. But thank you especially for your grace given to us in Christ Jesus. 
And I pray that your Holy Spirit would awaken our hearts, open our eyes to see that mercy around us and that grace around us. Father, at just the point of life where it all seems to come to a pointless, meaningless situation, Father, remind us that the power of the resurrection is ours through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, for those who do not know Christ this morning, I pray that their hearts would be open, that they would come to confess him as Lord and Savior and to discover the meaning of being born again and having new life in Christ. For your glory, Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.